national one. team of Australia. Number one, Tanya Betts. A lot of people see the results or the competitions we're attending and they don't necessarily see the ups and the downs and the hours that are put into like every aspect of um, an athlete's life. The biggest thing that I've taken out of the last few months is that I don't want to let the disappointment of others like stop me from furthering my purpose or what I want to do with my life. Welcome to Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. I'm your host, Jamie. In this episode, Madeline McAfee and Tanya Beths of the Australian women's beach handball team open up about the pressures of managing a professional career on top of being elite athletes. We'll also hear from Tanya about her experience living with ulcerative colitis. While we normally feature one athlete per episode, the two are great friends and provide different perspectives on managing their careers and health while competing. I'm Madeline McAfee and I play for both the Australian women's beach handball team and the Australian women's handball team. So both of my sports are handball and beach handball. I'm Tanya Betts and I play beach handball and I'm currently playing for the Australian beach handball team. When I sat down with both Madeline and Tanya, Tanya clued me in on what to call Madeline. Wait, Tanya, did you just call Madeline Maka? I feel like I'm saying it wrong because I don't have your accent. That's my nickname. There was two Maddies like 10, 12 years ago. And so I got Maka instead. So Maka. everyone called me Maka at Handball, nowhere else. That's it. <laughs> you may or may not be familiar with Handball. So here's how ABA Jeremy Udo Adoma, US men's handball player, who you'll hear from later, describes it. ABA Udo Adoma, you will see very attractive player, first assistant. So, handball is commonly described, or at least we Americans commonly describe it as water polo on land. And it's, it's a game where you move the ball around and you try to throw the ball into a net against the goalkeeper. So, lacrosse without the sticks, water polo on land, those are the two most common descriptors that we give to fellow Americans trying to describe what handball is and to also differentiate it from wall handball. While handball is very popular in Europe and is becoming increasingly recognized in Australia, there are still a lot of misconceptions from Aussies about what handball actually is. From an Australian point of view, that's definitely one thing I wish people knew about handball is that it's actually not (laughs) foursquare. No one is ever unhappy when they're playing beach handball. (laughs) It's so much fun. But I get a lot of comments where people come and watch it and they're like, wow, that's like such an entertaining sport. Like, because there's so many trick shots, so many people are moving on and off the court, you know, so it's really great for spectators to actually watch the game. And generally, once they've watched it, they're kind of hooked. In addition to playing handball, they each juggle full-time jobs. Maka's a lawyer and Tanya a teacher. I think as I got on and began my law degree and did the legal studies, it was more about 
I actually enjoyed the analytical side and I think the competitiveness of it as well. And so I think that all kind of fed into the athlete side of me too. So it was being competitive, creating the arguments for and against, and then like workable solutions for complex problems. She really always had her own mind. She knows what she wants and she's going to get it. It was one particular time she had this haircut and she hated it. Then she went to kindy and every little girl in kindy two days later had the same haircut because they loved Madeline's haircut. So, you know, she was like always a leader and got her way and was very funny about it. I spoke with Maka's mom, Janet, and it seems that there were indicators early on making it clear her daughter made up her own mind about things. It also seemed that being a high-level athlete and working full-time was in the family blood. When I was Madeline's age, I was a marathon runner and I worked full-time. We have a passion for health and for achieving. And, you know, Madeline's found, Madeline, when she was younger, had so many different sports she could have chosen because she was good at them all. But she just loved it from the moment she started playing it. It's not the run of the mill. It's just, I think it's a bit in our blood. While Mac has been playing handball since she was about 15, Tanya's handball career started with indoor volleyball, followed by Olympic weightlifting. I'm only 168 centimetres, and unfortunately at the time, um, they were wanting much taller players in Australia. So I made the choice to step back a little bit, and that's when I moved into doing some weightlifting, which was amazing. Um, I got to lift in some competitions over in England and had a really great experience, and that gave me, I guess, more experience in my toolkit when I did transfer over into handball. Tanya shares how her mom helped her develop the resilience that has gotten her where she is today. I think for me, like as a young person, um, I learned some pretty massive lessons. One of those being my mum really pushing me and showing me that it doesn't matter what challenges you have set out in front of you, like you can achieve anything if you have the right mindset. And if you look at the setbacks, not as failures, but just learning. Tanya's mom provides some insight into what drives her daughter, both on and off the court. I think the biggest thing with Tanya is that she has a heart for helping others. So if I had to encapsulate something, I would say that she is very compassionate. She's always found ways of overcoming barriers that are faced um, with everything that she does. It's like, here's a barrier. How do I troubleshoot it? How do I get around it? She would find ways of getting out of her cot. So she'd pull herself up, chuck everything at the end and just throw herself over. She'd pull on the post and over she'd go. So even from an early end, she would troubleshoot stuff. Speaking of barriers, Tanya also juggles ulcerative colitis. Over the years, she's developed a routine that helps her manage her athletic and teaching careers alongside her health. That's taken me, you know, a good 10 or so years with a lot of support people to help me get that balance. I have to be very, very careful with managing that because too much training 
means I'm going to have a lot more inflammation markers in my body, which means I'm going to be more likely to have a flare. There's often this sometimes spoken, but usually unspoken message to women that we have to do it all. I felt like Madeline and Tanya were the perfect people to ask what it feels like to have those pressures coming from all sides. So I guess behind the scenes, there's a lot of hard work and dedication that people don't see. You don't see that on a photo or on a video or on an interview. Um, For me personally, I get up at uh, 4.45 a.m. six days a week and I go straight from my two-hour training session to my full-time job and then I return to training in the afternoon. Additionally to that, as athletes, we have all our sponsorship and event requirements that we have to fulfill and that comes with a lot of admin. And then additionally to that, I have regular medical appointments for my ulcerative colitis. So I guess a lot of people see the results or the competitions we're attending and they don't necessarily see the ups and the downs and the hours that are put into like every aspect of an athlete's Mm. life. Speaking of some of the ups and downs, Tanya's ulcerative colitis can completely disrupt her routines and performance not to even mention the physical pain it puts her in. She shares more about the ongoing challenges she faces. I take a couple of different medications daily to help keep my ulcerative colitis in remission. It does flare up, and if that happens, then I have to be hospitalized and then put on some pretty heavy steroids. There's probably only two foods, types of foods that I can eat that don't give me any pain or bloating or any other issue and it kind of starts as soon as my food has to start digesting there becomes that pain and discomfort obviously if I'm having an active flare where I do need to be hospitalized then there's a whole lot of other physical things that go with that when I think about my mental challenges sometimes it's just being able to stay positive and check in and listen with my body so it does make it difficult in terms of being able to keep my body fueled and have enough energy to compete but also then the timing of when you eat to when you compete not having that discomfort in my stomach but still having enough to actually perform. Ulcerative colitis is a condition in which the body's own immune system attacks the inner lining of the intestinal tract. I'm Steve Pearson. I'm the president of the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, um, usually called ICER. Dr. Pearson is a medical doctor and bioethicist. His organization, ICER, evaluates the clinical and cost-effectiveness of drugs and treatment options. In 2020, Dr. Pearson and his colleagues published a report on new treatments for ulcerative colitis. They can go everywhere from all the way down by the rectum up higher into the intestines. It can be really intense and it makes it really hard for people to have consistent diets and to kind of decide how to manage their lives because they can never really predict when it's gonna flare up. It can also sometimes have effects outside the intestine, on the joints and the skin and the eye even. So rarely it can actually, I mean, it really is kind of a total body condition, but most of the symptoms are focused on, on the intestine. You could make some argument that the rigors of having a condition like this make people very disciplined. They have to take real control of their bodies. They have to plan. They have to make trade-offs. And some people might think that that would 
in some ways be consistent with the mental energy that you need to spend as a top flight athlete to have control, to plan, to really think about your diet and your body. Hearing Tanya talk about all that goes into managing her health on a regular basis isn't something we often see or hear on an athlete's social media page, or even in the highlight reel. As you can imagine, there's a ton that goes on behind the scenes that we just don't know about. And that can lead us to make assumptions that they have it all together and are living this picturesque life. Madeline shares an example of this. I remember we trained early one morning at our sandstorm place where we were doing some beach training. And, you know, we we got there a bit later, about six, and we trained for an hour and a half. And then I remember posting something on my Instagram later whilst I was at work about it. And someone was like, wow, do you ever work? And I was like, bro, I'm clocking 10 to 11 hours some days. So yes, yes, I do. Like Madeline shared, there's often an illusion to what life behind the camera is really like. We may think, wow, these people are really doing it all. But what we don't see are the trade-offs and sacrifices they make to be able to do what they love. It's not only two professions, but it's both of them putting pressure on the other for you to either stop, reduce it, or do something different. I found like a couple of years into my legal professional career, everyone wants more from you. Last year, I think I took off six to eight weeks. I competed at the ANOC World Beach Games with Tan, and then I went to the Indoor World Champs at the end of last year. And um, although I had to take all of my annual leave, I had to buy leave, and then I had to take the rest of it as leave without pay, they still let me go, which I think is supportive. I do recall um, in another team previously, there was one stage where one of my superiors told me not to talk about how much I trained with another superior because the other automatically assumed that I was taking time off work to train. And I think that really like shook me because I was like, well, I'm training at 6am for an hour and a half and then I'm training after work from 8 till 10pm. So it was like, no matter what I did, I was always disappointing someone. And if both of them require 100% at different times, that makes it a lot easier. But I just, I think the biggest thing that I've taken out of the last few months is that I don't want to let the disappointment of others like stop me from furthering my purpose or what I want to do with my life. It's important to note that both Maka and Tanya don't work full-time jobs and juggle athletic careers just for the fun of it. Maintaining their employment is a financial necessity because they aren't compensated from handball enough to provide for themselves. Now, to be clear, this is not a gender pay gap issue where the Aussie men's team is compensated and the women's isn't. However, Maka, Tanya, and others have been actively advocating for beach handball to be instituted as an official Olympic discipline under handball, which would allow the players to receive sponsorships. This would help full-time athletes financially sustain themselves. While indoor handball is a sport we will see in Tokyo, the Australian indoor handball team that Maka is also on unfortunately didn't qualify. Maka and Tanya were banking their hopes on having beach handball being accepted as a 2024 Olympic sport 
and therefore being able to compete at the Tokyo Games in exhibition matches. Unfortunately, beach handball didn't make the cut. So that decision, as far as the Paris 2024 program was made, and unfortunately it wasn't favorable, the International Olympic Committee Executive Board decided not to add any new disciplines. Oh, I'm sorry. Particular disciplines. Uh, from a number of sports that applied for inclusion into Paris. And with COVID and wanting to not necessarily make the Olympics bigger, uh, mm. they actually decided to reduce the number of athletes from Tokyo 2021 to Paris 2024. And unfortunately, all the disciplines that applied for inclusion, including beach handball, were not added to the program. So I guess our next next shot at being the summer Olympic program is going to be LA 2028. To date, all athletes we featured have either qualified or are still seeking to qualify for Tokyo. Maka and Tanya are different because they now know that they will not be competing in the games this summer. However, their journeys are continuous as they focused on maintaining balance in their lives while seeing where beach handball can take them in the future. You may have heard or read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, encouraging women to move away from thinking about what we can't do and entertain what we can do by becoming more confident and assertive. We also hold ourselves back. We don't sit at the table. We don't raise our hands. We don't let our voices be loud enough. You may have also heard Anne-Marie Slaughter's rebuttal that Sandberg's take was privileged and that the system has to change before women can have it all by simply leaning in. Full equality does not just mean valuing women on male terms. I spoke with Dr. Leonora Reese, an applied economist whose research explores the mechanisms that give rise to gender differentials. She shared her thoughts on the whole lean-in approach. It comes from women who have succeeded by adopting that approach and they're aiming to support other women to do the same. What we need to question is whether or not that approach can apply more widely to all women and in all circumstances and in all different types of context. We've made progress in terms of those formal laws and legislations in a lot of equal pay law, for instance. So we are in a society where the message is, as young girls, as young students, choosing our our careers, choosing our choice of subjects at school or at college, you can choose anything. You don't have to be contained by these stereotypes about what is expected of girls versus boys in society. Now, in practice, I think as many women progress through their careers, they start to experience that things aren't as equal as we were told they would be. Mm. And we start to observe there are these gender gaps. There is this persistent gender wage gap, but we were told women can do anything. There are other studies more broadly within organisational psychology Mm. and management that point towards women potentially experiencing a backlash or a negative repercussion from showing too much ambition too much assertiveness, too much confidence. Maka experienced this backlash from players on the junior team. As women, we hold ourselves to high standards 
And sometimes when we don't meet our own expectations, we take it out on other women we're threatened by. I made the Open Women's National Team for handball when I was 16, and I went to a competition with the juniors, and one other of the juniors went with me, and because we went straight after to a world championship with, our, with the senior women, we had to go different days, so we had to fly like separately to the junior team. So we already kind of had like a bit of a disconnect and um, they just didn't have like a professional culture or anything like that in this junior team. And then I remember we went in the change room after one game when I got the player of the match award. None of the other girls congratulated me. I was sitting down waiting to have a shower and I was just absolutely wrecked after throwing myself around for this team for 60 minutes every match up until then. And um, then some girls just sat across me and I just started seeing this circle come around me and they were having a team meeting. The manager comes in and was like, uh, okay, Anna and Maggie, you stay here. The girls have got some things to say to you. Uh, <laughs> they then proceeded to talk or, like, say things that they didn't like about how me and this other girl were playing or were, like, acting. So the whole team kind of went around and said something that they didn't like about me and this other girl. And then we went, I was like, okay, I'll take all of that on board. going to go have a shower, but give me a couple of hours. Tanya also experienced this backlash and shares how she proactively manages the needs of those around her to avoid it. Hot take here, but if a man were in this position, he'd just say, screw the haters, sorry, I'm the best, and move on. Women are expected to navigate around others who take their insecurities out on them. I really do make sure that the needs of other people are met, that they're feeling um, supported and looked after, and that they can say whatever they want and it's a safe space. So I think over the years, like when I was a lot younger, I I worked for the Queensland police, you know, and I was quite naive and young and, you know, I thought, you know, what a cool, great job and maybe came across too confident in what I was doing and it got me, I got a lot of people offside with me. I asked Dr. Reese what she thought of situations like Madeline's who feel the pressure from both sides to be 100% committed and for women like Tanya who deal with the additional pressures of a chronic disease. For an athlete like Madeline, that tension between how do I demonstrate that I am a capable and competent and committed lawyer as well as a high potential committed athlete That's under threat when either side of that equation could interpret her choice to attempt to do both of this as being less than 100% committed. And that's an ongoing struggle, I think, for a lot of women as well as as men who might wish to take time with their family, for instance. So I think it is about a cultural shift within organisations to recognise that a holistic self, that a person who has 
huge capability that they can do can do both things or they need to do it out of necessity and they have the capacity to, to do so. To respect that choice, that decision that actually is part of a holistic life experience that you don't necessarily need to narrow yourself to one dimension in life but you can have a fulfilling and accomplished life and make great contributions in a professional workspace in an athletic sense, in your service to your community, in, in your uh, roles as, as a member of your family and giving time towards your loved ones. So it's breaking down the notion that 100% time commitment is what defines you as your commitment to that goal, but actually a more holistic approach would be to respect that um, highly capable people are able to have multiple streams within life. I think, well, managing your health is also about making sure that you are demonstrating your full potential as an athlete and as a human. So if she requires extra time and energy and resources to manage her health condition so that she can demonstrate how she can excel as an athlete, then that makes complete sense that she should be afforded that. So it's about equating opportunities. While it will continue to take time for these cultural shifts to occur, we can start to make the shifts in ourselves and by supporting others with the same mindset in our circles. And in particular, if you're listening to this and facing an ongoing health condition, Tanya has some encouraging words of advice. There's going to be challenging times. There's going to be times where you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's going to be times where it's really difficult to stay positive. But there is some days where I do wake up and want to cry and I don't want to get out of bed. But the advice that I would give is those days are going to be challenging, but you need to set yourself small goals that you can achieve. And you also need to learn what your body can and can't do. Oh, and I guess the other thing too is your path is going to look different to others and that's totally okay. You just have to work out what's going to work for you. And bringing it back to the sport of handball, if you've never watched it before, check it out on YouTube. It's awesome. It's definitely also more challenging than what you may think of in a PE class. I genuinely think it's the right time for the sport to move in. It's a great sport for spectators to watch. It would be an awesome addition to the Olympics. Thanks for joining us on Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. Find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Flame Bears. Be sure to tune in to the next episode where I speak with Naya Tapper of the USA Olympic rugby team about her identity as a black woman and support for Black Lives Matter. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on your listening platform and leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you to producer Michelle Poulin for her awesome help on this episode and to Maddie Olinu for her partnership efforts. Thanks, as always, to Dino Catineo for his mentorship. If you'd like to support Dr. Pearson's independent nonprofit in pursuing fair pricing, fair access, and future innovation in healthcare, visit icer.org, I-C-E-R.org. If you're looking for other podcasts to check out, tune into The Sporting Spirit. If you want to hear more about how the modern Olympics came to be, check out their most recent episode. We'll catch you on our next episode of Flame Bears.